up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app and total beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I am your host, of course, JJ Derez. With me, Arif Dean. I'm back from vacation, had a couple podcasts off. Arif, thanks for holding down the fort. Um, but I miss talking to you guys. I miss being in the in the building, and it was really crazy for me to be floating in the middle of the Caribbean Sea and still watching the Avalanche on TV and watching the boys. So I love the technology's gotten that far that I didn't have to miss a step. I saw the whole thing. I saw Truba's hit on McKinnon. I saw all the W's uh, um, that we, the Avalanche have been acquiring lately. So uh, times have been good. So I guess thanks for uh, giving me the little bit of time off, but I'm so happy to be back. Yeah, and I can uh, also confirm to everybody that he saw my outrageous columns about the hits. He saw the many podcasts and laughed about them that we had to do without him because podcasts lack structure without a proper host. I've learned that (laughs) over the last two weeks. So shout out to JJ. He's back and he's doing the hosting for us and making sure we're staying on topic, which I very so often don't do. Well, I'm glad I was missed. The worst thing that could happen is I come back and you guys are like, well, actually, we found out we don't need Pack ya. your shit. <laughs> yeah, see you later. Peter Baugh's my new co-host. Thanks for everything. Um, but no, I'm here and uh, let's let's get, get it going. I'm excited to talk some Avs hockey. Obviously, a lot to talk about since you and I have last recorded, so we'll do our best to kind of keep it uh, brief and not, you know, dive into all six games, I think it was. Um, but yeah, I think the, the biggest thing to talk about right now is just the COVID-19 spread, Omicron variant spreading around the league, and it seems to really be causing some problems. I was super surprised that uh, the Avalanche game ended up going down yesterday and that we didn't see more positive tests. It was just Devon Taves, especially once you heard Ryan Lumberg of the Florida Panthers also tested positive. You're like, well, think about how many people were skating around him. Obe Kubel fought him. Um, you know, So in my mind, I'm like, we're expecting some more COVID positives here. Luckily, they didn't. Avs game still went on, and they... Uh, they won, of course, but, uh, you know, COVID being a problem right now. Yeah, and it seems to be a bigger problem than it has been ever before. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're like literally this morning being Wednesday and even yesterday morning being Tuesday. You can't wake up and pull up Twitter without seeing every team announcing two, three, four, five, six players added to COVID protocol. Obviously, what the vaccines are doing is making it so that these guys aren't getting sick with deadly symptoms. Like the Calgary Flames straight up said like a couple of their guys had some light symptoms. Calgary literally has of their 20-man roster that played on Saturday, all but four of them are in COVID protocol. 16 of them are in COVID protocol. Uh, But they've straight up said a couple of the guys had like light symptoms, which think of like a light flu. I'm kind of sick for the day symptoms. The rest of the guys are just kind of sitting there twirling their thumbs going, this test said positive. So I'm locked in my house until this test no longer says positive. So the vaccines are working. But at the same time, you still can't play because it's going to spread it even more. What we're noticing, uh, the crazy part is right now is, I mean, for starters, I I'm too I too am surprised that it was just Devon Taves. Um, but what we saw today in the morning, and you guys might have some more information by the time you listen to this, the Nashville Predators had six guys added to COVID protocol. The Avalanche just took a flight to Nashville. If we wake up Thursday morning, again, you guys may have already listened to this, but if we wake up Thursday morning and that six for Nashville becomes eight or nine or maybe even seven, they might call off the game. It might be the first postponement for the avalanche season. 
But if it stays at six, I sense the Avalanche are going to catch a little bit of a break and play a shorthanded Nashville team. I believe it's five players and one guy who is or one person who's part of like their traveling crew, which, you know, could be anything from their social media person to one of the trainers, so on and so forth. So it's kind of ravaging the NHL right now. And I think the most surreal part about it is that actually it's not ravaging the NHL, it's ravaging the sports world because Wednesday morning I woke up and I scroll Twitter and I saw X team adds this player, X team, that player, Florida added five, Nashville six, this team three, uh, Kuznetsov for Washington. And then the very next tweet was an NBA reporter saying, it seems like half of the NBA is in protocol. And I'm like, I'm reading about NHL players. This is happening in the NBA too. And here we are, the Montreal, not the Montreal Canadiens, the Ottawa Senators and the Toronto Maple Leafs have limited down to 50% capacity. COVID's back. And that was a very long-winded way of saying this is getting bad. Yeah, I think I even saw a similar tweet from Adam Schefter too, saying that there's it's running rampant through the NFL as well. Um, so, you know, if I'm an avalanche player heading into Nashville too, you got to really be a little bit nervous, right? Because the last thing you want is to catch it and then suddenly you're out for 14 days. But of course, the uh, NHL kind of, implemented some new protocols, right? And I guess the best way to do it is just read the exact tweet from Elliot Friedman this morning. Teams and players notified of enhanced protocols until January 7th. Measures include restrictions on indoor dining on the road, masking and distancing while in club facilities, and daily testing except days off. So obviously they've ramped up a little bit, easing your mind a little bit if you're an avalanche player and you have to go into a place like Nashville, which is obviously a hotbed for it right now. But uh, I still think if I'm an Avalanche player, I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous about going to Nashville. I mean, like you said, it might be a nice, easy W for them, but, um, you know, at what risk, at what cost? Yeah, and I mean, you could have said the same thing about the Florida Panthers. You could have said the same thing about the fact that the uh, Red Wings played yesterday with a couple guys on COVID. You could say the same thing about a lot of these teams, but the reality is the players right now, like, this is the last thing on their mind. They're... As silly as it sounds, like you you even heard Jared Bednar yesterday post game when he was asked about COVID, he's just he wasn't having it. The Avalanche won and he was in a good mood and he's just like, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna tell my players to change anything anymore. Uh they're already being safe, they're already staying away from things. I'm not quoting him word for word. And then he even said something like, If you gotta go get groceries, like whoop to do, that's something you gotta do. Like I'm not telling them to do anything more anymore. Obviously, the protocols that you just read from the Elliot Friedman tweet are going to tell the players to do that. But Jared himself wasn't going to make it a thing among the team. So these guys are over it, man. And and I, I mean, it's, it's COVID fatigue. We're all over it. You know, you don't have to be anti-COVID or think it's a whole conspiracy theory to be like, man, I'm sick of this shit. Like we all are. I'm sick of wearing masks. I know why the masks are uh, being implemented. I know why we wear them, and I believe in why we wear them, but I'm sick of it. We're all sick of it. It's just a thing. I'm sick of flying with a mask. I'm sure you are too. I'm sick of wearing one of the press box, taking it off, taking a sip of that tea that you and I always drink, and then putting it back on. Like I'm sick of all of it, but the players are too. It's just a thing that when it gets bad, we have to go back to these protocols because it's the right thing to do, but it freaking sucks. And I think these players feel the same way to the point where – if they're told to play, they're going to play. And if they're told to not, they're going to sit back and huff and haw and just be like, all right, just let us know when to take the ice and we'll play then. 
Yeah, I was a bit caught off guard by Jared Bednar kind of saying that he he's not really mentioning it at all. And Nathan McKinnon kind of reciprocated that, right? Or rep, uh, replicated, I think, is the word I'm looking for. When he was kind of asked the similar question as Jared Bednar, and he just kind of shrugged it off and was like, yeah, I mean, it's the thing we're still dealing with, but we're not putting much thought towards it. So uh, it's just got to be frustrating from the Avalanche standpoint to not only be losing players left and right to injury, but now COVID also as well. Um, I mean, I guess not now. It's been happening all season long and even last year. So, um, But it is what it is. I guess I, I wonder at what point the NHL kind of has to, you know, step in on themselves and say we're forced to spend some more games here because you're seeing it happen already with the Flames. You saw it happen with a couple more teams, um, but they don't really have the wiggle room because of the Olympic break, right? So I think they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place here, and, and I think they need to kind of take a step back and just – realize what they're doing by forcing all these games because it's also hurting the product of the NHL. Look, the reality is, it. I mean, the NHL's, their hands are tied, mm -hmm. even when it comes to Olympics. So let's just say it was announced today. The NHL's not going to the Olympics. The players don't want to go. It is off. They're still going to have a three-week break in February, and I hope everybody realizes that because if you go on to Ball Arena's website and you search their schedule, between February 1st and February 25th, the two Avalanche home games, there is a ton of events scheduled. There's Nuggets games, there's Mammoth games, there's concerts, and those aren't going anywhere. The NHL's backup schedule that we were you know, told about back in July and August is no longer a thing. If the NHL doesn't go to the Olympics, those days are still going to be off. And what's going to happen is in March and April, if teams are playing 14 games in 30 days, it's going to go up to 17. If they're playing 15, it's going to go up to 18 that's just the reality of it. We saw it last year. We saw the Avalanche cram a million games into a short amount of time, especially with all those. They were the only team to have two pauses, and they even played St. Louis four to five times in a row. That's just what's going to happen again. The NHL's hands are tied. They're taking it day by day, team by team basis. We saw Calgary, you know, instantly cancel things and other teams like Ottawa and you know other teams like that were like well why didn't it happen to us is because these other teams were more gradual a couple here a couple there and then it added up Calgary was all at once snap of a finger 10 or 11 people on COVID so you're just gonna have to the, the league is just gonna have to continue to do what they're doing and take it one game at a time if it gets to the point like March 2020 when the entire season needs to get stopped for a little bit of time that's a different story but right now I mean the NHL is doing what everybody else is doing. They got their floaties on. They're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and they're just trying to float because that's all you can do right now with this. It just feels, once again, that there is a lack of planning, right? I feel like we had the same conversation once the bubble was over. We were gearing up for the next season, and it felt like the NHL was under the assumption that COVID was going to be gone by the time that season got started. And, of course, they were still dealing with it and dealing with it just like they are now. But uh, here, here's the question that I have on that is, whether you're the NHL, whether you're the NBA, NFL, concerts, like any part of the entertainment industry, any part of the world in general, whether you have the assumption that it's ending or not, what was true an hour ago is not true today. What was true a week ago is not true today. What was scheduled a month ago is not scheduled today. Nobody can control this. There, like, there really is no contingency plan for COVID. Like, What could they have done to plan better rather than just say, all right, we're going to stop games. And like, Again, let's go back to the arenas. Are Ball Arena, Madison Square Garden, all these places just going to wait for the Rangers and the Avalanche and just be like, all right, we are at your mercy. Kanye West, go take a hike. We got to play a Rangers-Oilers game today. Like, it's 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 a very hard thing to plan for. Well, I have one idea, and I think this really helped them last year, and that was the series idea, right? You're staying in a city, you're yeah. playing a, a team 
twice over the span of four days. Because, I mean, right now you look at the Avalanche schedule and they're hopping around. They're, you know, up up next they're heading to Nashville, then Tampa Bay at home, then Detroit, then Buffalo, then Boston. They're going city to city to city, interacting and mingling with these teams that are doing the same thing. It's going to be a lot harder to slow it down at that pace, yeah, right? Yeah, that, that I get it. That you weren't planning for. But at the same time, when the season started, COVID wasn't this bad. And if you come out with that, hey, congratulations, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. You're going to start the season four games in a row against Winnipeg that you played 18 times last year and are probably sick of by now. Fans that are like aching and yearning to get back into hockey are just going to be like, this is stupid. So I I think they might have some plans. Somebody made a joke about like, eh, let's bring back the Canadian division. And then a week later, they're like, no, seriously, what if they just bring back the Canadian division? I think the league probably has plans to mobilize. Like we might wake up tomorrow and they'll be like, we got a taxi squad and wake up the next day and they're like, all right, here is another schedule that's going to happen. No more East versus West, no more Canada versus America, things like that. Like you mobilize as it goes. Um, that might be a thing that happens, but uh, to, to have started with that would have sucked. I don't know. This This whole thing is just a shit show right now. Yeah. So I guess with that, let's move on to the Olympic conversation, right? I mean, it kind of seems like it's a 50-50 shot whether the uh, NHLers are going or not. And kind of seems like it's 50-50 if the NHLers even want to go versus the ones that do want to go. Eric Carlson coming out today saying that it doesn't seem like the way things are right now that he would go. So I guess your stance and opinions on whether or not the NHLers should go and if they do ultimately end up going. Uh, whatever my opinion is on if they should or shouldn't isn't going to matter in the grand scheme of things. But I think, I think everybody gets to make their own decision on this. And that's a very silly thing to say with COVID, but with this, it really is, it really is the way it's going to end up shaking out. It's the fact that, you know, and, 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 you know, a lot of the big names, a lot of the insiders have kind of floated the idea of like, well, what if, you know, let's kind of generalize everybody into a bunch. But what if like 99% of the players that are going to make Team Canada said, yeah, we don't want to go. But 99% of the players that are going to make the US or Russia say, yeah, we're going. So then you're going to have a Team Canada like in 2018 that was like Wojtek Volsky, Rene Bork, these kind of guys versus Austin Matthews, Patrick Kane, Dylan Larkin, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, that's what's going to end up happening. Um some players have stronger opinions than others. Connor McDavid recently, you know, he was asked about it. He wouldn't decide. He wouldn't say either way which way he's leaning. He just said that the rules and restrictions that have come into play are kind of unsettling. Where we are right now, what I think is, again, I think everybody gets to make their own decision. You might have, I think you're going to have three or four or five players that are going to say no that might have made the team. Like pick a name out of a hat. I don't know. Alex Petrangelo. He recently had some comments about how it's worrisome considering his family. Hell, we've already had Robin Leonard say he's he's opting out. So we might have four or five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players opt out. Um, but unless the NHLPA comes together and says we are opting out, which is not going to happen because some players are hell-bent on going, it's going to happen. And ultimately what you're going to have is an NHL where some players are going, some are sticking back, and uh, I'm going to read this Emily Kaplan tweet. She said, if the NHL doesn't need the three-week Olympic break to make up games, here's a situation I could see unfolding. Bullet point one, NHL must take a three-week bre- three break anyway. Too many buildings have scheduling conflicts. Bullet point number two, guys who want to go to Olympics go, and plenty still want to. And bullet point three, guys who don't want to stay home and rest. So that's that's ultimately what's going to end up happening. The NHL 
negotiated this into the recent collective bargaining agreement and the discussions with the NHLPA. And this was one of the concessions. The NHLPA gave up a lot of things to get Olympic participation in 22 and 26. And the NHL is not just going to pull it away from them. They're going to wait for the players to make that decision themselves. It's interesting to think about the mindset of the players that are hell-bent on going. I, I saw a tweet today saying, you know, some of the older guys are thinking this is their last shot at an Olympic medal. And that's such a hockey mindset, right? I got to play. I got to go represent. And it makes me kind of compare it to the NBA, right? It's impossible not to draw the parallels between the two leagues. And uh, this past summer when we saw the Tokyo Olympics go down, we saw all the NBA players that would normally go opted out. So it's easy to say, oh, well, if the NBA players are you know, more concerned about the league and themselves than the Olympics, why aren't the NHL players? But the NBA is such a different story because the American NBA players would go and just run show, right? Whereas in the NHL, you got you, you so got Sweden, different. you got Finland. It's not a sure thing who's going to go. I mean, sure, LeBron James could go to Tokyo and just embarrass everybody out there and beat every team by 40, and I, it just didn't seem worth it to him. But for the hockey players, it's still worth it for a handful of these guys to go over there despite kind of the more strict and uh, crazier protocols that are going down. Among the four big, big among the big four leagues in the in the in the U.S., the NHL, the NFL, the MLB, and the NBA, baseball, hockey, football, and basketball. Hockey has the most diversity among teams. Uh, hockey has the most competitive, best on best international competition. The tournament doesn't really compare to the others, and and that's the thing. I mean, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, you know, all these big name players. When you talk about them, you mention somewhere along the lines, yeah, they've got some gold medals, but you don't mention it the same way as when you talk about Joe Sakic and Steve Eisenman and and Peter Forsberg and and Sidney Crosby as like a big deal that they have won Olympic gold. It's a far different thing in the NHL. And you'll notice I threw in a Swedish guy in there too, not just Canadians, because Canada doesn't win it every time like the Americans do in basketball or, you know, not that there is an Olympics for football, but if they did, Jesus, like <laughs> that would be an American thing. But it makes me think of the other version of football, right? The the big trophy and the big tournament there is the World Cup, not necessarily the Olympics. The Olympics are definitely an afterthought. So maybe there's a, um, you know, you could point the finger at just hockey as a whole for failing to keep the World Cup a thing uh, that we do all the time, or maybe just having a, a third tournament that is involved with all the all the teams. I guess they kind of do have that during the NHL playoffs, right? But it's not the full squads. Um, yeah, so I think maybe hockey dropped the ball in, on not emphasizing another tournament here and there. Well, the thing is, FIFA kind of, to me, parallels the IIHF. And what the IIHF runs is the World Championship. I would consider that more of your similarity to the World Cup, which, like you said, happens in the playoffs every year. But then the IIHF also works hand-in-hand -hand with the IOC for the Olympics. So the the Olympics in hockey are the equivalent of the World Cup in soccer. The World Cup in hockey is an NHL-made event. I mean, everything is man-made. The Olympics are a man-made event. The World Cup's a man-made event. But they've just been around for a hell of a lot longer than this World Cup thing that the NHL did in 96 and then blinked twice and did it again in 04 and then blinked three times and did it again in 2016. Like, it's not a consistent thing. They would have needed to do it consistently every year since 96 for it to start to garner some attention and some attraction. But it's just it's never going to be looked at like Kale McCarr and all these guys they didn't grow up watching the World Cup of Hockey. Kale McCarr was born in 98. 
He wasn't there for the 96 World Cup when the U.S. won. When Canada won in 04, that wasn't a big deal because two years later was an Olympics. Two years earlier was an Olympics. In 2010, he was 12 years old and watched Sidney Crosby score the golden goal. In 2014, he was a little bit older than that. The World Cup just doesn't compare in hockey and doesn't relate to these players like it would a soccer player who grew up watching the World Cup of soccer. Yeah, fair, fair enough. And then, and then when you compare the two, sorry, really quickly, the Olympics and the World Cup of soccer— the World Cup of Soccer still happened. Yeah, it was the or not the World Cup, but the Euro Cup, which you know kind of will measure up closer to that. It was postponed for a year because it was supposed to be the summer of 2020, but it still happened. Everybody still went. You didn't see any players opt out, and I don't think you know NHL players are going to opt out either. I think it'll just be a handful. Yeah, and that handful, you know, you could kind of point to the bubble that they had a couple of years ago. I mean, it's essentially going to be another bubble, and I think some people are terrified of that concept because we heard stories right people did not have a good time in the bubble people were you know suffering mentally in such a such an uh i guess setup and if they were to do the same thing at the olympics you know they're not exactly going to get the full olympic but there's a big difference between the two the playoff bubble was your job this is what you get paid to do granted it was you know, it was uh, collectively bargained that you are not going to miss out on paychecks. I mean, it's a playoffs. You're not going to miss out on paychecks anyway. But that's part of your job. The Olympics is a completely 100% your decision move. You get to decide if you want to go. This is not part of your job. This is not even something that you're under contractual obligation for. And then, in, you know, even for the bubble, we saw guys like Travis Hamannick, Mike Green back out um, for the Olympics. We've already seen Robin Leonard, and I'm sure there will be more. But it's it's a different case because, like, the Olympics, not going to the Olympics is not going to determine if you get another contract, if you get to make more money. Like, think of how it feels to be someone like Mike Green, who ended up retiring, by the way, and hasn't played since pre-COVID. He's sitting there thinking, do I go to the do I go to this bubble thing, risk getting COVID, or do I stay home and risk ruining my hockey career? Like, that's the thing that they had to think about that they don't have to think about with the Olympics. It's strictly your call, your choice, balls in your court. I think the motivation of a gold medal certainly drives some players, but I think uh, a lot of the appeal to some Olympics for a lot of players is getting to go to a different country, travel around, see some people, see some sights, and you're obviously not going to be able to do that Nope, um, none. In, in this case. So I can see why a lot of people would opt out. And with the rules, I mean, you got to really want it. The players that are going to go are the players that really, really want it and have a ton of heart. I mean, just a, a bunch of Matt Duchesne's. Bunch of Matt Duchesne's, bunch of Nathan McKinnon's and guys like that that are going to play hockey, go back to their hotel room and play Call of Duty or something because you're not <laughs> going to do anything else but that. Uh, I guess that's a good time to tell you guys about DraftKings. It's been a second since I've done one of these, so bear with me. But football fans, thank I'm God sh- you're back. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. I mean... I don't think there are many 0-0 NFL games out there. So new customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. I love the same-game parlay. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. It's glorious. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So... 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS to bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. And man, does it feel good to just be the disclaimer guy again. Ooh, that felt good. I was buzzing on that one. I look at I that. So crushed I. it. I, I nailed the punctuation for once, which I, I tend to kind of skip over that. You should have seen me stumble and bumble my way through every single DraftKings <laughs> ad read for the last three episodes or four episodes, especially the one where I was recording with myself. God, that was tough. <laughs> shout out to you for doing that. I know it's not easy. And um, shout out to the people for listening to it because I know it's not easy to listen to one person babble on. But hey, if anybody can do it, it's you, Arif. I'm proud of you. Um, let's move on and let's talk some Avs hockey for once. Um, we got into the COVID, we got into the Olympics, but Avs have won five in a row and eight at home consecutively. So of course they're doing great things and, and slowly moving up the standings. But last night was game 26 against the Rangers of the season, game 26 of the season against the Rangers. Let me rephrase that. And if you look back to January, the start of last season and you combine it with this season, they are now at an 82 game total right they've played 82 regular season games since in 11 January, months 11 which is months. a ton of hockey yeah they they started january 13th of 2021 the debut of brandon sod and that version of the avs devon taves and all those guys 11 months they've played 82 regular season games plus the playoffs that's that's a lot of hockey man yeah absolutely so let's put on our imagination hats and um kind of pretend that these 82 games were one season and kind of maybe that you know foresees the future and uh, kind of what the uh, rest of the season has in store for Colorado. So Arif, I know you have an article coming out tomorrow morning that breaks this down, but um, I'll let you plug it here and take the reins. Yeah. So we're going to look at these last 82 games as if, like you said, it was one regular season, the 2021 calendar year, regular season, 82 regular season games since the COVID pause. And the crazy part about this is you'll be surprised to hear that no Avalanche player played 82 games. Obviously, there's guys like Jonas Donskoy who was, uh, wasn't here for 82 games and, and Brandon Saad and guys like that. But if I told you only one Avalanche player even reached 80 games, so from the guys that have stuck around, think McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog, Comfer, Jost, uh, Devon Taves, Kale McCarr, Sam Gerrard, Eric Johnson, all these guys... Only one player reached the 80-game mark, which means he only missed two of the last 82 games. Who's your guess for that? Well, you and I were talking about this at the game last night, so I already know it's Tyson Jost. Yes, okay, I didn't know if you would remember that or not. <laughs> Tyson Jost, 80 games. Second place is Nazem Kadri at 79. By the way, Kadri is a very close one because he had played every single game up until December 1st, and then he missed the next game against Montreal. Uh, or was it Ottawa? No, Montreal. He missed that back-to-back, the second leg of the back-to-back, and then he just missed the last two games, Detroit and Florida, before the Rangers. So he was at 79, but he missed those three games right before. But let's look at the top of the bracket, the top of the lead for the Avalanche. Mikko Rantanen has played 75 of 82 games, so he's missed, what is that, seven. In those 75 games, you know, Mikko Rantanen, the guy that sets up Nathan McKinnon for goals, He's got a team-leading 43 goals, 51 assists, which is good for second place, 
94 points in 75 games. So that right there says to me, Miko Rantanen's a 100-point score if he gets to 82 games. But the biggest number for me is a plus 42 rating. That is exceptional. So Miko Rantanen's had a hell of a 2021 calendar year for the regular season games. And doing it five on five too, right? Because that's what plus minus is measured on. So yep, yeah. Let's not forget all the power play, I guess, contributions that he's had during those eighty-two games too, right? So to well, be a plus forty-two is ridiculous, considering that it's just five on five. Yeah, well, it's funny you should say that because he leads the Avalanche over this eighty-two game stretch with fifty-nine even strength points, but he also leads the Avalanche during this eighty-two game stretch with thirty-five power play points. So Miko Rantanen is doing it all, man. And as you can see, he's even beating Nathan McKinnon because as you guessed, Nathan McKinnon has missed a little bit more games. He obviously just had that three-week stretch where he was out. He missed the first two games of the year with COVID. He missed a bunch of games last year with injury and COVID. Nathan McKinnon has played 64 games. So he has missed a total of 18 games over these last two years. 64 games. He's fallen off, as you can tell, in goals because he only had 20 last year and three this year. So it's a very easy number, 23 goals. But in 64 games, Nate has 65 assists. So he's got 88 points. That's a 1.38 points per game, which over 82 games, let me fill some time while I do quick math. If he had a full 82-game season, that's 113 points, which, by the way, if you look around the entire NHL, even though we're sitting here looking at Nathan McKinnon going, oh, man, he hasn't scored a lot of goals, the only two players that were better than him over this 82-game stretch were Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Do you want me to plug their numbers in? It's actually hilarious. Yeah, please. Connor McDavid has played 82 games in the calendar year 2021. 49 goals, 101 assists, 150 points. Jesus. Leon Dreisaitl actually hit the 50-goal mark, unlike that loser Connor who couldn't even hit the 50-goal mark. 49, (laughs) what a loser. Dreisaitl, 82 games, 54 goals, 75 assists, 129 points. So they lead in points per game, 1.81 points for McDavid per game, 1.55 for Dreisaitl. Third place, even though he missed 18 games, Nathan McKinnon at 1.38. So McKinnon is still right up there with those two guys in Edmonton. Third place, I'm just going to kind of go through these next ones without talking a lot about them. Gabe Landeskog, 29 goals, 50 assists, 79 points in only 76 games. And then here comes Kale McCarr, who has missed quite a few games as well. He's only played 67 of the 82. 21 goals, 49 assists, 70 freaking points in 67 games. How awesome is that for Kale? Unreal. Unreal. Which, by the way, most among defensemen in terms of points per game, uh, Adam Fox isn't even there. 70 points in 67 games is the best scoring pace for all defensemen over this 82-game stretch. Nazem Kadri, who had a slow season last year, 69 points in 79 games. Andre Burakovsky comes in next 78 games so he's only missed four of the 82 he's the only other guy that has over 30 goals in this stretch 31 goals 34 assists 65 points which is hilarious because we look at Burakovsky as the guy that's not been the same player since the COVID and the bubble but obviously he scored five goals in two games right before that Rangers game again 31 goals in 78 games Devon Taves is next on the list I'm only going to read the next three Devon Taves on the list 13 goals 38 assists 51 points in 69 games and a team-leading plus 48. After him, Sam Girard, eight goals, 47 total points in 72 games. Everybody's new favorite winger, Valerie Nichushkin. 
His two goals against the Rangers elevates him to exactly a half a point per game pace. 19 goals, 17 assists, 36 points in 72 games. And that number is going to look a hell of a lot better at the end of the year because he is operating at nearly a point per game pace this year. He's taken that next step offensively. Now, I'm sure all of our listeners out there are wondering the same thing as me, Arif. Oh, that's that's great. I mean, obviously, those are all fantastic stats individually. But what about as a team? During yeah. that same 82 stretch, if you compare it to the other teams who have you know, uh, probably played more than 82 games since that time, since the Avalanche have a lot of games in hand. How do they compare to the uh, other teams league-wide? So in terms of other stats, we're looking at things like, you know, power play proficiency, for example. The Avalanche have a 23.0% on the power play, which is good for, sorry, which is good for sixth best in the NHL, but their 70 power play goals are second most. And obviously, that just means they've had more power play opportunities. Here's the crazy mind-boggling one. 307 power play opportunities is 32 more than the second-place team. Wow. So they've drawn 32 more power plays than the next most team. 55 victories over an, 56 victories over an 82-game stretch. They're 56, 20, and 6 in their 82-game stretch, which, quick math, you're looking at 112. You're looking at 118 points. It's the most... The teams right behind them are Florida and Carolina, both with 55 wins. Uh, so you've got a lot, you know, quite quite a good stretch of wins here for the Avalanche. Obviously, they blew that second round to Vegas after winning six straight playoff games. But all of the numbers here say that they are one of the better teams in the NHL. 305, actually, you have to add yesterday's game, 309 total goals scored is 24 more than the next best team. They're the only team to hit the 300 goal mark. Yeah, those are fantastic numbers. I mean, obviously, with last season and only playing a fraction of the league, you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt. But when you're comparing it against other teams who, you know, had similar schedules and were only playing a fraction of the league as well, I think that helps you really put it into place. So, yes, the Avalanche, well, we know they're a great team, but the numbers back it up as well. Exactly. And uh, when you take, when you eliminate Seattle, because Seattle's only played, obviously, just these 25 games, in terms of goals against, Colorado's fifth out of the 31 teams that have played, you know, 82, 83 games. Fifth least goals against. Obviously, this season's not as good as last year. Last year, they were second least, trailing only behind Vegas. But they've allowed the fifth least amount of goals. They have uh, an 81% on the penalty kill, which is 15th in the league out of the 31 teams, not including Seattle. So that's like middle of the pack. So everything here, seven shorthanded goals, six of which have come this season. That's uh, top 10 in the league. I believe that's tied for ninth. Um, six 20-goal scorers is up there as well. So uh, that's pretty good as well. Here is the last number that I want to share because this is going to speak in length about the amount of injuries that this team always deals with. And then obviously COVID and all that only skaters, not goalies, which obviously goalie stats is another thing. The only reason why I'm not going to take the goalie stats as, as seriously is because Grubauer, we know his stats last year. Kemper, we know his stats this year. There was no carryover. Johansson's the only guy with carryover and he played a total of 13 games. So those numbers aren't as interesting as like, Oh, Kale McCars last year plus this year or whatever. The number that I want to look at is the total amount of players used, or sorry, skaters, forwards plus defensemen used. The Avalanche used the fourth most with 44 total players playing a game, total skaters playing a game over these last 82 games. And the three ahead of them make sense. San Jose's first with 50, Vancouver's second with 47, Arizona's third with 46. 
The reason why this is a relevant number is because when you look at the Sharks, the Canucks, and the Coyotes, those are three teams that are lottery teams. The Arizona Coyotes had an entire roster last year. They shit the bed. They were one of the worst in the NHL. And as that was going on, they kept calling up young guys to give them a look. They kept trading guys off at the deadline. And then during the offseason, they had a total fire sale trading Ranta and getting rid of Ranta and Kemper and Aiden Hill and all these guys. And they traded uh, Dvorak to the uh, Canadians, so on and so forth. So they obviously have a lot of guys playing. Vancouver Canucks, same thing. They went through like a bit of a roster overhaul. They still suck. They keep calling up guys. San Jose kept calling up a bunch of young guys, went through a little bit of a... Basically, when you have a lottery team, you're going to use a lot of players because you're transitioning your team into a new core. The Avalanche are the best team in the NHL to have used that many players, and that speaks volumes to the amount of injuries, the amount of COVID cases, the amount of things that they've had to deal with and still be a team that had the most wins in an 82-game stretch and winning 56. I know what everybody's thinking when you're listening to this, and I know none of this shit matters if you don't win in the playoffs. But again, look back to what the Avalanche were five years ago. Look back to what they were between the years 2004 and 2018. They have taken massive steps, and now they are going to take the next step, and when they do, they'll be in the third round, and then it'll only go up from there. But you cannot ignore how much and how far this team has gone after 10, 15 years. And I'm only 28. Like 10, 15 years of the Avalanche sucking is a long time. Yeah, and the the amount of players that they use and, and like you said, the injuries they've been battling the last couple of years makes it all the more impressive, those numbers that you just read off, right? I mean, it's also kind of a testament to Jared Bednar's mindset, right? He's not going to just use the His same system. players over and over. He's going to call up the guys who deserve it, the guys that are going to fit in best with the way the team's trending. So um, I think there's, there's two ways you can kind of look at that. But either way, it's it's encouraging for the direction this team is going, right? This team is so good, and there's hasn't been at full strength yet this season. And they're still just clowning teams like the New York Rangers. I mean, you watched the body language of the New York Rangers last night. I don't think... Any one of them thought that they were going to win last night. No. And, of course, they're going to go out there and fight. They're going to try their best to do so. But, um, I mean, once the Avalanche score one, I think the Rangers are kind of like, oh, well, here we go. They fought hard. It was a good game after all. But at no point was anybody worried that the Avalanche were going to lose that game. And you even heard it from Nathan McKinnon. He kind of was insulted yesterday after the game. Yeah. I forget who asked him the who question. <laughs> yeah, and he and he said, yeah, what was, what was your question? Kind of I saying, basically, what I was trying to highlight, and I did a very piss poor job of asking it, <laughs> the Florida Panthers are 18-6-4, the New York Rangers are 18-7-3. Notice the middle number, seven regulation losses for the Rangers, six for the Panthers. The Avalanche are two of those seven regulation losses for the Rangers. They're one of the six for the Panthers. And that was basically what I was saying is like, you beat a whole bunch of shitty teams, I didn't say shitty, but you beat a whole bunch of teams at the you know lower end of the standings, and then you just won three games in regulation against teams that don't lose a lot of regulation games. And McKinnon said, well, we're one of the better teams. We expect to do that, which obviously makes sense. But basically what I was trying to get at is going into those games, everybody's like, oh, the Avalanche are finally going to be tested after playing crap teams like Montreal and Philly and you know, obviously Seattle and Vancouver twice and all this. And the one good team they played in Toronto, they got destroyed. And then they come and they beat the Rangers and the Panthers pretty handily in all three games. Yeah. I mean, that Florida one, they really had to earn it, but they did. And that's what was impressive, right? When your back's up against the wall and the other team's not giving you an inch, you got to fight extra hard and they figured out a way to get it done. So, um, yeah, I just love the direction of the team. And again, without all their players in place, 
the, the sky's the limit. I mean, this team can continue to make a tear and continue to climb its way. I mean, I know Minnesota's having a pretty good run, but I think if the Avalanche win all the games that they have in hand, they would be in first place. So, um, you know, give it some time and, and they'll, they'll be you know. There. That's one of my things that I dislike about the NHL.com standings page is every other league that I've seen during the regular season, they usually show standings by points percentage. The NHL shows it by points, which is very misleading because obviously the St. Louis Blues have played three games more than the Avs and they have one point more. Like anybody and their mother could look at that and be like, all right, the Avalanche just got to get one overtime point. They can go 0-2-1 in the next three games, and they'll still be ahead of the Blues by tiebreaker. They're going to do better than that. So when you look in terms of points percentage, the Minnesota Wild are number one at a .696 points percentage. The Avalanche are second at a .692. Granted, the Wild have two games in hand. They're three points ahead. So Colorado's next two games are Nashville-Tampa. If the Avalanche win both these games, they're one point ahead of the wild, but they're just 0.04 points percentage below them. And that's not only the second best in the central, that's actually second best in the entire Western conference, the ducks, the, the flames, the Vegas golden Knights, natural predators, Edmonton Oilers, et cetera. They're all below that. But when you go to the Eastern conference, there is one, two, three, four, five, six teams ahead of them. One of them being the Rangers at a 696. The other five teams are all in the 700s, Florida, Tampa, Toronto, Washington, Carolina, so obviously the East has more teams at the bottom too, but in the Western Conference, Colorado is the second best team right now, and they're very close to taking over Minnesota for first. And also considering the fact that they've played once and the Avalanche beat the Wild in regulation. Yeah, a bit of a challenge for them though ahead. They got five of the next six games on the road and six of the next eight. So um, you know it's not going to be easy, but they're absolutely in a position to continue to, I guess dominate teams in the fashion that they have i mean i don't want to yep. call the rangers and the Pred and the panthers game a domination but the fact that they were able to pull out wins I, I mean you can be nothing but encouraged about this team right now exactly and they are 10 2 and 1 7 5 and 1 on the 10 2 and 1 at home 7 5 and 1 on the road so you're going to need to boost those road numbers doing this but they just beat the rangers at home or sorry, the Rangers in their home at Madison Square Garden a week ago today. And the Rangers are 8-3-1 and one at Madison Square Garden. One of those losses is to the Avalanche. So you got to start to pick up those wins on the road. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning is an interesting case. Those guys are coming in in a couple days. In a couple days, is it? Saturday, three days. Tampa's 9-3-2 and two at home, but they're also 9-3-2 and two on the road. The Avalanche obviously beat them on the road. But here comes the 9-3-2 and two on the road, Tampa Bay Lightnings to take on the Avalanche. That's going to be a fun game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all good streaks come to an end. Like we said, they have eight in a row at home. So if they were to lose one here in the next couple games, it would maybe be Tampa Bay. But I, I wouldn't exactly. I think Florida teams have a hard time coming to altitude and playing at Ball Arena. So uh, I, I still think the Avs uh, have... I guess they're my favorite heading into that game. I don't know what the odds makers are thinking. It's too far in advance. But, um, you know... I think the Avs are just buzzing at home, and with me in attendance, I'm 7-0 and <laughs> at Ball Arena this year, Arif. Yeah, you've showed up to seven of the 13 games, and the Avalanche have done good since. They haven't lost at Ball Arena since that game to Columbus that they blew at the end, and that was November 6th, so it's been a while. They're, they're on a hell of a good streak, and we even said it when November started. We said the Avalanche's schedule is going to get a little bit more generous, and then they're going to go on like a playing every other day run. Nathan McKinnon said yesterday we're in the middle of a 30 and 55 night stretch, 30 games and 55 nights. So they picked it up just like we all expected. That very early two and four record has suddenly disappeared. The Avs are 17, seven and two, and they're seven and oh when you're there.
Yep, absolutely. So quite the stretch ahead for the avalanche if you need to kind of decompress and get yourself a adult beverage to help you watch the game with less stress. I suggest you go to Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they also deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes, all the more relevant with this Omicron case peeking its ugly head and and causing fear, I guess, in society. But if you didn't know those things, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Um, Arif, like I said earlier, the fact that I it's been so long since you and I have done a podcast together, I kind of wanted to do a broad stroke and just kind of pinpoint and talk about 10 players who I think have made an impact. Not all of them completely positive, but have been players to keep an eye on lately. I'm going to start with Curtis McDermott. I want to start with this because um, I was just caught off guard yesterday when we asked Jared Bednar about the McDermott fight and kind of if it was organic. Again, this was your question and he just kind of went off on saying how important of a piece McDermott is to the team right now. I mean, obviously they love him in the locker room and, um, you know, Nathan McKinnon's comments on him saying, you know, he he loves violence and he's been looking to fight somebody. Not everybody wants to fight him. And Ryan Reeves obviously gave him a go there. So um, I was just really caught off guard at, at Jared Bednar saying how important of a piece McDermott is right now and how much he was pumping his tires. He's really liking McDermott's presence. Jared Bednar said, I think he's fantastic right now. And then he paused and looked at us and said, no, really. Like, he was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not just pumping the tires of my enforcer. I think he's fantastic right now. Really. The security he brings to our team. He's a confident player right now. He goes on to talk about how Curtis McDermott was, you know, he's the guy right now in practice that's doing all the extra drills with the goalies, doing extra shooting drills, doing all the things that you want from a team guy like that. And then he went on to say, you know, obviously, because he's played both positions, regardless of the position he's playing, he's a big part of our team right now and he's playing well. I'm going to have to agree. Like, again, I'm going to use the same approach with McDermott that I do with somebody like Jonas Johansson, where it's considering the role he plays and what he's supposed to bring to the team. He's doing a good job at that. You're not supposed to look at Curtis McDermott and be like, well, the fourth liner in New York, uh, I don't know, Cal Clutterbuck, he's he scored 20 goals before. McDermott's never going to do that. Well, of course not. But the other way that I look at things, and I know a lot of players sit there and go, well, you got to replace him with somebody who can, you know, give the avalanche a better offensive structure or whatever. You know, if you were the St. Louis Blues where you don't really have any stars at the top, no disrespect to Ryan O'Reilly, but nobody there who's going to put up 100 points, I could understand a more balanced team. But let's just use the example of Sample Ranta. If you use Sample Ranta on the fourth line, what's he going to bring you? Playing three or four minutes a night. Are you going to play him 10 minutes a night and take those minutes away from McKinnon and Ranton? And no. So who's going to do great in a role where you can play three or four minutes a night? It's this guy. And I know we all like to laugh about him, and I do too. And you and I joked about him in the press box when he whiffed on that opportunity, that pass on the two-on-one. <laughs> but McDermott has played 14 of the 26 games. And we saw yesterday, he we saw him get the most, or not the most ice time he's gotten all year, but the most ice time he's gotten in a while, playing 8.53. And... He did pretty well, man. That fight was everything you wanted from him. The kind of role he plays, if you're thinking back to, you know, Avalanche era guys, is not someone like David Kochi where you're like, oh, God, this guy's just terrible at fighting, terrible at everything, doesn't even provide energy, just seems dull. It's freaking Patrick Bortolo. I loved 
the Patrick Bordalo era for the Avalanche. I know he played on like the ugliest, or not the ugliest, but the worst line ever with Cody McLeod and freaking Marc-Andre Cliche, Patrick Waugh's favorite Frenchie. <laughs> but Bordalo had this swagger to him that you know he was a, just an important piece of the locker room, which is a very big thing in the NHL. Everybody loved him. And when he fought, he put on a show. And yesterday, Curtis McDermott put on a show fighting Ryan Reeves. I think the difference, though, and, you know, Bordalo is a guy I love. I used to get to party with him and Shane O'Brien kind of on a regular basis when he was here. But with Bordalo, it was kind of hit or miss on how good he was at fighting. It was like he, he wasn't a natural fighter. He kind of learned to fight through his career just to be able to stick around. Yeah. Where Mc, McDermott is a fighter through and yeah. through. I mean, he fought Ryan Reeves and and pummeled him, right? I mean, Ryan Reeves isn't a guy that anybody can mess with, and Ryan and McDermott went and kind of taught him a lesson. And you have a guy like that in last year's playoffs, I think that Vegas series goes a lot differently, right? I mean, that's exactly what he was brought in to do was fight Ryan Reeves. Little did we know Ryan Reeves would get traded to the Rangers, but I think you noticed what it the effect it had on the game. I mean, after the fight, I feel, you know, the Truba mess was settled. You didn't see the Rangers really taking any um, shots that they shouldn't take. And it was a, a clean, well-played hockey game. And that's because everybody knew that there were two guys out there that would mess you up if you step out of line. And that's exactly what you saw. So, um, yeah, I, I loved the impact he had. And I love the impact that he could potentially have in the future as long as he's keeping those minutes limited. Because he still generates chances. Yeah. He doesn't capitalize on them, but he, he generates offense. Yeah, and again, it goes back to the idea of, like, you're not going to play McDermott every night. But when you play him and you play him four or five minutes, that opens up more time for Nathan. Like you're not going to play McDermott with three minutes left in a game where you're down three to two and you have an offensive zone draw. Be like, oh, no, we got to roll the fourth line. No, you're going to put Nathan McKinnon. Even if you want to play Abby Kubel and Helm, you're going to double shift McKinnon with those guys and watch watch them score. Like that's the role that a player like this provides for you. It gives you the ability to use the extra minutes for your stars like McKinnon, Ranton, and even Burakovsky when he's hot like he was against the Panthers. What I loved about Curtis McDermott was the quotes we heard from McKinnon, the quotes we heard from McCarr. You already mentioned the McKinnon one, but I'm going to read it just to kind of give you the whole thing. He said, where is it? Um, I got to find it real quick. Here it is. He says, Dermy is, is an awesome guy and he loves violence. First of all, that's my favorite part of the quote. Dermy loves violence. He's been looking for one, but not many guys will fight will fight him. So it was fun to watch. And we know we Landiscott kind of said this earlier in the year as well. Like he's just skating around trying to find somebody to fight him and nobody will. You know, and obviously a lot of people are sitting there thinking we're going old school here. Well, what's the point of the fight if the Rangers are going to score right after? I get it. And I know I'm the same guy that just wrote an article about how head hits need to be eliminated. And I'm talking about a guy that was punching somebody in the head. I get it. The role Curtis McDermott plays is not one that's going to be around for much longer, but it's one the Avalanche felt they need. I don't entirely agree with it. I think they could utilize it better. But if you're going to play McDermott and you're going to have to deal with the fact that you'd rather him not play, then you also got to deal with the fact that when he does good, you got to at least admit he does good. And yesterday he did good. And it wasn't just the fight. It was his role in general. We saw him going for line changes. And every time he'd go for a line change, there was two occasions where I saw him cross-checking and, and screwing with Jacob Truba by the bench. Like, hey, remember me? You remember what you did to Nathan McKinnon six days ago? I'm here to remind you that you can't do that again. That's the kind of stuff they were missing in the playoffs last year. It's it's what what uh, Bednar called a security blanket for the team. It's the guy that's there to remind others that you can't mess with our team. You can't go freaking pull Ryan Graves' hair out of his head. Like, you can't do that. 
Well, let's see if he gets used against St. Louis because I was pretty disappointed the last two matchups that uh, he was nowhere utilized. But April 26th, the next time the Avalanche face off against St. Louis, I hope he's in the lineup and I hope he makes some noise um, just to stand up for Kadri a little bit, right? And I just got to say, I love the nickname Dermy. It's Dermy. It's, it's a such one. a great nickname. <laughs> I, I really like it. Dermy loves violence. Like Nathan McKinnon was so happy to talk about it. Yeah, it was so exciting to watch it from the bench. Dermy loves violence. <laughs> Uh, so let's move on. I got a couple more guys. I, like I mentioned, I have 10, so we have nine to go. Um, so let's kind of buzz through these since we're already running a bit long. Uh, but the next guy I wanted to talk about was Kale McCarr. Obviously, um, awesome that he's tied in the lead for goals on the team with 13, and he's playing really good hockey, but he, he's had a bit of puck luck, right? I mean, even he says that he doesn't think it's it's going to continue um, with – he's going to continue with the scoring pace that he's been on. But I've, had a, I've heard a lot of people have this conversation, and – say that he's capable of a 40-goal season. Would you agree with that? Do you think K.O. McCarr can reach 40 goals? Uh, I don't know if it's this year, but at maybe some point in his career during an 82-game season. Yes. Yes. Well, that makes yeah. it easy. I don't have to ask you about 30, then. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the Arab thing and make it, make it quick for once. Yes, he's got 13 and 23. That hasn't been done in the NHL since 10 years before he was born. If he plays, he doesn't even need to play 82 because we know he gets injured a lot. If dude plays 75 games in the like the prime of his prime, which is the next three to four years, he's going to be a 24 or 25-year-old who's going to put up 40 goals in, in 75 games. Absolutely. The system works well for him. The team he plays works well for him. The, the ability that he has and the way that the Avalanche use him, absolutely. The last thing I'll say on him, and then, you know, now I'm going to go from making it a short answer to a longer answer— Walking out of the walking out of the media room yesterday, I saw Joe Sackick in the hallway, and I stopped and I kind of, I uh, you know we I started talking to him about the Adam Fox and Kel McCarr game, and he just kind of like he was talking about Kel McCarr like you would think Joe Sackick was just like dude that's never picked up a skate before a stick before just sitting there like he said something along the lines of oh yeah like it's unbelievable like Adam Fox he said Adam Fox is a very smart player, but Kel McCarr has skill I've never seen. He goes that the, the way he glides his stride. And I was like, yeah, like in Philadelphia, he said the way he moves with his hips. I was like, well, yeah, in Philadelphia, he did like the fake. Oh, I'm going to drop it to McKinnon. Just just kidding. No, I'm not. Mm -hmm. And then went up like Bobby Orr. He was like, yeah, like that's a thing that I haven't seen. He's like Paul Coffey. That's the guy in my area era we looked at. And he's like, Kale glides better than Coffey did. And then Joe kind of like put his hands up. He looks at me and goes, I wish I had that kind of skill. And I'm just like, dude, get the best for a shot in the NHL. Like, go to hell. Like, <laughs> let somebody else have a skill. But the way Joe Sackick was fawning over this guy was one of the most surreal things. Like, Kale McCarr has an NHL Hall of Famer, the best player that's ever played for this franchise, talking about him like he's me, someone that can't even skate. Like, it was just so surreal. Don't forget the part where he said, great podcast, Arif. Keep up the good work. Yeah, he did, yeah. He's like, I'm so glad JJ is <laughs> going to be back. Looking forward to hearing you guys tomorrow. Give me a shout-out. <laughs> shout-out, Joe. No, but you hit, you hit the nail on the head there during your analysis, and this is something I've been thinking about lately is, yeah, we know Kale McCarr is a great player, and he's a great player on any team he would play on, but being in Jared Bednar's structure really enables him to prosper. I think he really thrives, and you're seeing it with the goals, right? I, I told you this yesterday. With his wristers that just seem to be getting through um, you know, he's really just trying to get them on net and hope for a tip or a rebound or something, and they're getting all the way through to the back of the net, but they're wristers, right? And I remember watching for years and years during Nikita Zadorov's time here how they would try to work with him to get that going, and he never it's like he never wanted to do a wrister. He just wanted to do a snapshot or a slap shot, and adjusting to the wrister was tough for him, but for Kale McCarr, it just comes so easily, and he gets them through. And he gets them through. And the biggest thing yeah. is he gets them through. 
I mean, he, he always has done that, right? It's just this year, for some reason, they're, they're squeaking through. So, um, yeah, whatever he's doing is working. So keep it up, it, Kale McCarr. He's developing. He's 22. He's entering the prime of his career. So this is the time for him to shine. Here comes 40 goals. Next guy I want to get into is Nathan McKinnon's play of late. Of course, everybody's saying, what the heck? He's not scoring any goals, but he's putting up multiple assists in every game, and he's just playing like a madman. I mean, we've talked about this since his whole career, that when he feels the pressure to score goals, he kind of plays a little bit crazier and tries really hard to score those goals, and you're seeing it, right? There was a point during a power play yesterday where it just looked like he started running, literally running <laughs> at the at the goal, just trying to charge like a crazy bull. So um, I love the intensity he's playing with, and I think... I think you know, a, a wave of goal scoring is right around the corner for him. I, I thought it was interesting yesterday to hear him say that he, he's been learning from Burakovsky's shot and just to hear him really, I guess, swoon over Burakovsky's ability to shoot the puck. Yeah, because that's not something you often hear Nathan McKinnon do is, you know, not that he's, you know, arrogant or thinks he's the best at everything, but the reality is the dude is nearly the best at everything on this team. Kel McCarr is kind of knocking on the door going, hey, 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 I'm here too. But, you know, McKinnon... He's he's gonna pick it up. It's there's gonna be a stretch of twenty games where he has like fourteen goals and fifteen assists or something. But again, let's go back to that last eighty-two games. He's played sixty-three. He's got sixty-five apples. He's still pitching in. And when the playoffs come around, he's the one scoring the goals. So that's that's all you can ask for somebody from for that's all you can ask for for some. You know what I mean? That's all you can ask <laughs> from somebody like Nathan McKinnon. There's a word jumble of uh, what he can provide to this team. And I think it's going to come very soon where we're going to see him score a lot more. He scored in back-to-back games, obviously didn't score last game. He's got a point in 15 of 16 games. I'm not worried about Nathan McKinnon. Right, absolutely. And when you're making assists at the rate that he's doing it, I mean, you're you're making plays. You're, you're a playmaker, right? And which is good to see from a guy we know loves to shoot the puck. He's also still finding his teammates and setting them up for success. So once those goals do start coming, I mean, he's, he's going to be nothing but well-rounded offensive player. Um, but with that, we got to get into Burakovsky, right? Andre Burakovsky scoring... He scored two goals one game and then the hat, the hat trick where he was the only Avalanche player to score the game in that Florida Panthers victory. Obviously, we love his shot and we just got to acknowledge the the way he's been playing lately. Yeah, like I said, five goals in two games for a guy that we've looked at for the last couple seasons and said has been a bit of a dud. He's he's still over 30 goals in these past couple years and he's somebody that when he's having a good time, he plays well. And and you can tell very quickly when Burakovsky's smiling and having a good time versus a month ago in practice when literally somebody in the media had to ask him, that stick that broke, was that frustration or was that a broken stick? He said, no, that was frustration. He tried to take a shot. He messed up. He cussed and broke it on the board at Family Sports. He's no longer in that mode. He's having fun. He's scoring good goals. He's cussing in his, you know, intermission or post-game interviews at Ballerine. He's just having a ball, and that's the kind of player that plays well when he's having a good time. Yeah, the the cussing was kind of funny because it was so innocent. He didn't mean to, right? Yeah. He didn't real realize that he was cussing during that sentence. He just that's just the the lingo in a hockey locker room, and he just let it fly. Right. But, Ryan O'Reilly um, did that once on CBC with Scott Oak. After they won the cup, he goes, ah, da, 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 and then he goes, fuck it. And then he's, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, he just went straight into that. And you kind of you kind of got that vibe from Berkey. <laughs> I always think about Shaquille O'Neal. I, I forget what he's saying, but he said shit in his interview, and the r- reporter says, we're on live TV. You can't say that. And he says, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Shaq. I mean, who's going who's gonna to say anything to Shaq? 
but yeah, you love Burakovsky and, and playing with that top line. You know, I love when he plays with Nathan McKinnon. I've said it for years, so uh, it's proven me right. He he really prospers with Nathan McKinnon. Um, moving on, we got to talk about Devontae. Obviously out again, which really stinks. He really was catching his stride there for a second and even got acknowledged by the NHL with the uh, third star of the week. Uh, I think he had seven assists during that time. I was listening to NHL Network, and they kind of – had beef with the fact that he was nominated as a star of the week with no goals. Meanwhile, Pacioretty was scoring, I think he had six in a row, um, a goal in six games in a row. But you just can't, I guess they're underappreciating the value that Devontae's brought to the team. He he had seven assists, yes, no goals, but he was playing 29 minutes a night and just so defensively responsible and just such a pivotal player for this team that, um, you know, shame on the NHL Network guys for failing to realize that. They're... People are undervaluing the crap out of this guy. If he truly does, and we're not going to go into it because we did on the round table with Kate Shefty and Peter Ball a couple days ago, but if he truly does make Team Canada for the Olympics and the NHL truly does go, that's going to be the coming out party for the entire NHL to realize, holy shit, number seven in Denver is a damn good player. Yeah, unfortunately, we uh, won't get to see him again until after Christmas. It's exactly, just, yeah. Just a bummer. Which is a bummer. Yeah, yeah, big time. But you, you had some guys stepping in and playing a lot of minutes, right? We saw Sam Gerrard get, I think, 26 minutes. You saw Kale McCarr get a ton, and, and even EJ stepping in, especially on power play two, though, there. So um, obviously missed, but they've got guys still so far in the lineup. Yeah. Uh, next guy I want to get into, Darcy Kemper. Uh, I think... He's obviously getting closer to the Darcy Kemper that we uh, have expected, but he's still quite not quite there. Uh, he he kind of adjusted. You were pointing out that he was kind of letting in three goals a game for a while. Now it kind of seems like he's letting in two a game, but I'm still waiting to see a shutout from him, right? I mean, behind this team, we saw Philip Grubauer get, what, seven shutouts last season. We still haven't seen a shutout from Darcy Kemper. I know in his best year ever, he had five with the Arizona Coyotes in the uh, 2018-19 season, I think it was. So still waiting for Darcy Kemper to fully make that jump and fully be acclimated with the team because I still don't think he's there yet. I'm going to refer to a Peter Baugh tweet last night after the game. Darcy Kemper, since returning from injury, four games, 4-0-0 record, 9-22 save percentage. And those victories are coming against teams like Florida. Those victories are coming against teams like the uh, New York Rangers, obviously the Detroit Red Wings. 4-0 with a 9.22 save percentage. Those are good numbers. He's he's there. He's getting it. The system around him is, is is picking up as well. I'm not worried about him just yet. We'll see as we get closer. But I think Frankie coming back is also a good thing because now Darcy knows if he has a few bad games in a row, he's going to sit. But right now he's playing pretty good. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm worried about him. I think he's in a great spot. I just think there's a little bit more that we haven't seen. There's, I agree with that. We're yeah. a couple steps away from his ceiling is all I'm saying. Again, Grubauer's first year, it took until April where he went like on a 13-1-1 run in March and April to lead them into the playoffs and then have that fun series against the Calgary Flames and the San Jose Sharks. Um, it took him all the way until March. We're still in December, so... Let's give Kemper a little bit more time. As long as the team is winning while he's figuring things out and making sure his equipment works properly, uh, that, that's fine. Four more players. We got to fly through here, and I'll try to make them quick for you. But Nazem Kadri, I mean, back from a quick injury, gets um, you know right back on the board, right back in the uh, the same pace he was at. I mean, crazy that the injury was so quick, and he could just jump right back into it. So uh, obviously not a serious injury. You hate to see him miss any games at all, but the fact that he's just going and contributing. Like nothing ever happened. Great stuff. 
37 points in 23 games. He trails only behind Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid in points per game this season. He's got more than Ovechkin because Ovi's played five games more than him. Uh, he's got six points in his last two games, both coming against the Rangers because he played the Rangers and then he sat for two and then he came back for the Rangers again. One goal, five assists. Very quiet six points. This is a player that dating back to October 28th, he has a point in every single game minus that Dallas game. So remember how his 10-game point streak was stopped on Black Friday? Well, since then, he's played one, two, three, four, five, six games, and he's got 12 points. Like, it's it's unbelievable. He's got 12 points in his last six games after that point streak was ended by Dallas. And it was a point streak where he had 21 points in 10 games. Like, this guy is on fire. He's got 26 assists, and he's only played 23 games. He's also got 11 goals. He's on pace for over 40 goals in a full season. So shout out Nazem Kadri, man. And, and like he said the other day, I asked him, how does it feel to sit out games like the one against Florida where you know those are the kind of games you thrive? He laughed and chuckled and said, maybe it's best I sit out those games because, you know, it, it was a joke. And I hate the people that are like, <laughs> oh, at least he knows he loses his temper. I'm just like, all right, chill. He was making a joke. But shout out Kadri. He's on fire. Yeah. And while I said, you know, it's not worrisome, it's obviously not a serious injury. It's a nagging one. So let's hope that the, it doesn't, you know, keep bothering him, and it's more towards the uh, the the side of getting better and better. You know what this feels like? This feels like a Mile High Sports ten stars of the week. So I guess we'll just <laughs> kind of play it as such. Well, we got to make up. We got to make up for all the stars that you <laughs> missed when you were gone, because you know I sure as sure as hell didn't structure the show properly like you would have. Last thing I'll say about Kadri is he said pregame yesterday. Uh, if this was the playoffs, I would have played through those injuries, but there's no reason not to take precaution. He knows he's fine. It's good. Don't worry about it. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, next guy I want to get into is Gabe Landeskog. Obviously a bummer to see him miss games, but he's also missing a handful here, right? I think it was a two-week timeline. Two weeks, correct. Um, and I don't even know what happened. So it's, it's just not only a bummer, but a mystery to me. So I'm just scratching my head and saying, what's up with that? What's the deal? Sorry, I was counting to myself real quickly. It looks like his uh, 10 game, because the NHL is stupid and considers point streaks, you having to not miss your team's games. His 10 game point streak, which was a career high, was snapped with that Red Wings game where he had one assist. It was snapped because he had to sit for the next game because he was hurt. Uh, Gabe Landeskog's having a hell of a season, man. It's a bummer to see him out. But again, this is one of those things where if this was the playoffs, there's no way in hell Gabe's Landeskog's going to be out for an injury that keeps him out for two weeks. When you get to the playoffs, guys like Gabe only sit out if it's like a two to three month injury and they try to come back after like four weeks. Nine goals, 18 assists, 27 points in 22 games, man. Don't worry about Gabe and 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 his, not that you're worrying about him, but that plus the fact that he's decided that this year he wants to be a bully, Gabe's on fire. I'm saying that about every player because it's literally true. Everybody's on fire right now. Yep, absolutely. Um, and then a couple more here. Val Nachushkin needs some recognition. Two goals yesterday, and, and he's just been consistent. And I really like what Jared Bednar said about him after the game against the Rangers, just saying he's had his game there the whole time. What he was lacking is his ability to finish, and that's exactly yep. true, right? We said it for so long. He put himself in great spots. He played really great defensive hockey and was an analytics darling, just couldn't seem to bury the puck. Well, he's overcome that, and apparently Jared Bednar credits just the fact that he is comfortable in Colorado. He seems to like it here, and he really seems to have embraced his role and understood it, and now it's helping him thrive. My hot take is that the Avalanche will feel the effects of losing Nachushkin more than they would Burakovsky and potentially even Kadri 
if all three of them walk this summer, which isn't going to happen. I don't think all three of them will walk. But Val's that important. He has a very important role on this team. He's a very unique player because he's this big, massive dude with a big stride that can score goals, that can set up plays, that plays in front of the net on the power play, creates that traffic and, and physicality in the crease. But he's also a winger with a strong two-way game that gets Selkie Trophy votes because he's good defensively away from the puck as well. And like Jared Bednar said yesterday, I feel like he's carved out a really important role on this team. And most importantly, he loves it here. The guy hated Dallas. He left. He came back. The media ran him into the ground. Obviously, he played 54 games and didn't score a single goal. That'll help. But he loves it in Denver. And he's proving that with pretty much every single game. And the way he's growing into that next level player. I mean, I still think this is a guy that is peaking later on in his 20s, being a 26-year-old. I genuinely think if Val Nichushkin signs a three-year contract after this season, he'll put up 150 points over those three years, which is an average of 50 a season. He's that good. He's peaking. He's creating more offensively, and he's growing into that role, like you said, where he's scoring more goals now. He's got to be the only player in the NHL that can have himself a two-goal game and not have to talk to the media afterwards. I feel I feel for him, man. He's got he's got major insecurities with the language barrier thing. Uh, he's also very hard on himself, very superstitious. We noticed it even in the short time we were in the locker room pre-COVID. Um, and I, I, I've talked about this story before. There was a game where the Dallas Stars came to town pre-COVID. And uh, one of the Dallas media members, I won't mention him by name, kind of approached Val in the locker room. And Val's just sitting back drinking his Gatorade or something. Uh, wearing his, uh, you know, just he took off his jersey, he's just wearing his pants and his skates, just drinking his Gatorade. And this guy approached him and said, Hey, Val, it's nice to see you having a good season in Denver. And he just looked down. He's like, I'm, I'm not talking to this guy. I, I don't even want to do it. So there's a lot of insecurities there, and it's fine, the language barrier, whatever it is. But you know what, man? Like Jared said, he loves it here. He loves the locker room. He loves the guys there. The team is really good to him. Um, so. Shout out to Val. I mean, if 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 I'm not going to bully him for not wanting to talk to the media, I get it. But he's still doing a hell of a job. Yeah, I get it as well. I'm not complaining by any means. Just simply pointing yeah. it out. And I hate to end the 10 stars of the week on a somber note, but uh, I want to talk about Bo and Byram real quick. You just can't help but feel bad for the guy. All I have here in my notes is poor Bo and Byram. I mean, you you just absolutely hate to see what's going on the fact that we thought he'd be clear he got a game in and was feeling good and then had to get right back out of the lineup I mean uh, it just it just stinks and it stinks bad it's at that point with him where the avalanche need to make sure they're doing everything in their power to make sure that he has a good quality of life moving forward um I know he already has, but connecting him with the doctors that help Sidney Crosby through his concussion issues and it's a coin flip we've seen guys like Peter Mueller we've seen guys that have you know, their their concussion issues didn't really subside. Guyam Latendres, remember that guy for the Canadians, played for the Wild. Like, players like that, concussions. Joey Hishin comes to mind. Joey Hishin, thank you. Concussions ended their careers. We've seen guys like Sidney Crosby. David Perron is another one that have bounced back and excelled doing so. You just hope Bo is one of those guys as well. So, it sucks. He's a great player. He was at practice today. I was not there, but Peter Ball tweeted pictures of him watching the team and stick handling from the bench. He's got to be in better spirits, just, you know, hoping for the best for that kid. He's he's a hell of a player, but he's a really good dude, too. Yeah, that's a positive sign. Hopefully he's inching back to return because, you know, the team would love to have him out there. He's just such another great weapon to have. And, man, they have so many already. Why not have a, as many as possible? But Yeah, and I think we've gone so long in this podcast that if we don't shut her down, Dermy's going to fight us, too. 
<laughs> All right. Well, last guy, I just wanted to acknowledge Ben Bishop. Another heartbreaking yeah. story. Not, not really ready to go, but uh, his body forced his way out. I can relate. My body forced my way out of playing goaltending too, but um, you just love Ben Bishop and what he's done for the league and, and kind of rewrote the way goaltending is scouted. He did. He's that massive dude that kind of changed the way things were because it was like, oh my God, Ben Bishop is huge. Why is he a goalie? Well, now look at around the NHL. Um, my favorite part about Ben Bishop is how big a role he played in the development of the best goalie in the NHL, Andre Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky learned a ton from Bishop. Bishop literally groomed Vasilevsky to chase him out of town because of how good Vasilevsky was. And he knew that was happening. He even mentioned that. Like he knew he was developing and helping his backup goalie become the new starter so that he can take a hike. And he did. He signed that long-term deal in Dallas and unfortunately doesn't get to finish it. I believe his last game in the NHL will be that playoff game against the Avalanche where he came in for a game and then was out again and they went back to Hidobin. He uh, had a conditioning stint with the Texas Stars in the AHL a couple weeks ago, played one game and realized that he had to shut her down. So shout out to Ben Bishop. That's a hell of a dude. Uh, he's from St. Louis as well, which is not a big hockey market, but um, he was ground. Born in Denver. That's right. Sorry. No, I'm mixing him up with... Uh, he is from St. I mean, he he claims he Louis, claims he yeah he claims St. Louis and he played there, but yeah, he was born in Denver. That's true. So yeah, I mean, I was gone for 14 days. You had to assume this one was going to run long. We had some catching up to do, so that was fun. Arif, good to be back. Of course, um, you know, before we get to our final thoughts, don't forget to check out both Total Beverage and DraftKings Sportsbook. They uh, support us well, so let's support them back. Any final thoughts before we get out of here for uh, this episode? We usually don't go long in the midweek, but again, we had some catching up to do. Yeah, the last thing I'm going to say is I just want to give a uh, big thank you to everybody that was supportive when I shared that tweet that was directed at me last week. Um, Sticks and stones may break my bones. Words will never hurt, blah, blah, blah. That shit doesn't bother me. But it was just something where I'm like, you know what? People should be held accountable for what they say. But the amount of like the outpouring of love that I got for that was just unbelievable. We end this show with hockey is for everyone is for everyone for a reason. Every single time we record uh, for guys like that that are going to tweet me things like that. I don't know if it was a guy or a girl or a freaking bot for all I care. Uh, they can go to hell. Hockey's for everyone. Shout out to all of my followers for the massive outpouring of support over the last few days. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we're grateful for every follower, every listener, and anybody that gives us the time of day and pays attention to the stuff we do because, you know, we put our hearts into it. So, you know, the fact that people appreciate us, it, it, you know, there's nothing better than that feeling. So um, that being said, you know, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Hockey is for everyone, and we at you.